Well, hello, guys. I'm back. And this time it's just me, guys, because um, I don't know what happened, really. But it was uh, I was out of uh, town for a week and uh, we just couldn't arrange anything with Steph, I guess. And uh, I was like, come on, man, let's do something. And then uh, he's just like, well, I got nothing to say. And uh, I don't know. I'm not aware of any uh, drama between us at the moment. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what's going on with him because he didn't say anything more than uh, I got nothing to say. So I waited. I said, come on, man, let's just do it, anything. You know, I don't know. Came any day, any time, whatever. Nope. Got nothing to say. So if you guys really care about this uh, and uh, if you care about him at all, you can ask comments. I'm sure he's not going to read this because he's not going to watch this video because he thinks I'm probably going to shit talk him for bailing out on this episode. But, you know, if you care, you just post comments and I'm going to make sure to copy them and to send him all the love and, and you're like just to motivate him to come back because I don't know what the fuck is going on with him. I'm not aware of any any troubles, any, any family problems or anything. So it's just... Uh, I don't know what the fuck. Anyhow, so, but I'm back and I, I couldn't, because we were supposed to have a guest on his side first and then I didn't arrange anything as an alternative. So it's just me for the moment. But because, you know, in principle, uh, there's been two weeks and many things happened and we can talk about many things and I don't want you guys to keep waiting. So I'm going to provide this and I'm going to try to, you know, convince Steph. But you got to help me out with this and, you know, write some comments. So I send them to him and we're going to get him back, I guess. You know, it's this thing, you know, it's like relationships. Like when you have a girl that's very, very insecure sometimes and she comes up with some fake drama just to see if you care enough to deal with the drama, which is a total mistake. It's such a disaster. Like if you if you if you are with a person like this, Trust me, it's never worth it. It's not worth it because um, this isn't. So we moved on from the Stefcho topic, but this is some relationship advice for you. If you guys are with a girl that just creates unnecessary drama, and one day you wake up and you go, "I've done nothing wrong," and she hates me for some reason. If there's some insecurity that causes this problem, uh, trust me, it's not always something that you can do or you can solve. Unfortunately, if someone has problems like this, they need to solve them because those problems are going to be triggered by you, but most probably by anyone they're with. So that person might be in a bad relationship with you or with anyone else or with anyone who's similar in some way to you. Like whatever it is that, that makes them uh, feel insecure. It could be that it could be, sometimes it's so counterintuitive because it could be a good thing. Like, oh, I'm so in love with that person that that triggers my insecurity because I know that I love them so much that I'm going to be ultimately very hurt by them, which will never, but like, you know, they want to retro, like proactively avoid it by creating some drama to both distance themselves and kind of be more on the safe side, but at the same time, create this fake bullshit. I realize I got so much space here. I can do, a, I can do like, I can talk to my hands now. I got different guests here and I got a new tattoo I'm going to talk about it later so I just added some additions to this shit but um yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to this subject but anyway guys yeah uh don't be like this uh the most important thing is be honest and it's sometimes difficult because um sometimes you can't even be honest with yourself that's understandable like you don't even realize always uh you know what the problem is but 
if you know it, and if you really know something is troubling, you just be honest with the other person. So this is what I'm really mad at Steph at the moment, because I'm like, come on, man, talk to me. What will happen? What is going on? You know, you want to take a break. You want to, you don't like it anymore. You want to do something else. You're wasting your time with this. Tell me what's going on. But anyway, he won't say. He's like, I got nothing to say. So, okay, so let's figure it out. Maybe you guys have a theory. Maybe you, you know more about this than me. So let me know. Anyway, but I still like this. I want to, I want to talk. So uh, even when I'm, even this is not so fun for me when I'm by myself because I always like to talk to people and ask them questions and then uh, interrupt them and completely, uh, you know, take over and uh, just talk mostly by myself. But just so that there's someone in the room to validate me, to be like, oh, I'm talking. But then there's someone who went through all the trouble to come and sit down and listen to me. So that feels good. So anyway, so that's a little a, a little bummer for me too that I, I'm by myself now. But listen, but I got you guys, right? I got you guys ultimately. And uh, thank you for this. So, so anyway, so there's a lot of things that happen. And, you know, I can talk about my own shit or I can talk about some other shit that happened. So for example, I was thinking about, this was even last week, I want to talk about this. But now there's even more development on that. And uh, the first thing I, I, I kind of like was interesting and intrigued by was this Terry Crews story. I'm sure you know Terry Crews. You know, the uh, Terry Crews, the big guy, the actor, the black guy. Uh, he was in The Expendables. He was in a bunch of other movies. He's this big bodybuilder guy, former... A football player, like huge dude, very nice guy, very nice actor. And what happened was, if you follow the news, this guy came out with this statement that um, basically he jumped on the hashtag Me Too movement, which we all thought it was dead. And then until every once in a while, someone rediscovers it. It's like, really, is that still going on? I mean, of course, uh, abuse and, and, and abuse of power and of women and all that can always happen but but that thing is inexhaustible and they just keep putting more fire in it and by now it's just really a joke and and this is the problem with it that from something very very serious at the beginning with all all the way back to like bill cosby and all that and harvey weinstein it got all the way down to like complete nonsense to just complete nonsense and anyone just putting this hat of me too on and and be like, okay, I'm in now and let's talk about me now. It's really, it's like a, it's almost like a platform. It's like YouTube, but for attention and it's, it's cross-platform. So it's like, you want, you want some attention? You feel like you, you're not, not enough people are caring for you? Then fucking say something about something that happened 30 years ago or that no one can prove or disprove. Anyway, with the case of Terry Crews, it's a huge surprise. And I want to preface this by saying that, first of all, I really like the dude, okay? This is why I have so much trouble now talking about this is because I like the guy and I respect the guy. And at the same time, I, I'm totally displeased and and disappointed with uh, what he basically did, which was, so he claims, I mean, this is a true story. I, I believe everything he's saying. I'm not questioning what happened. He basically is saying that... Um, he was uh, sexually molested. He went to some party, some Hollywood event with his wife and some producer or some, some guy that's like high up in the business, like decision-making level, you know, person walked towards him, walked, walked to him and just grabbed him by the dick. So just grabbed him by the dick. And the way he said it was, 
it was like I was raped. I think those were her his words exactly. I was raped, and my wife was just watching or something. So he even shed on his wife for some reason. It's like if, if I had, you know, if I remember my ex or something, and I was in a situation like this, or if I was with any girl and someone would grab my dick, they would, they would laugh at me. They'll be like, "What the fuck, man!" And and I would never in my in her the the last thing that I would do would be to blame some girl that I'm with. But anyway, this so he even he's he's mad even at, at his wife and at the whole world because some dude grabbed him by the cock, and that's it. That's the end of the story. Again, as many of these Me Too stories, this is one of the great. Uh, kind of um, common denominator here is that nothing really happens after like there is something that is really awkward inappropriate fucked up but then it doesn't lead to anything else but doesn't matter it's basically like uh like telling a horror story with a twist and the twisted is that no one dies no, he's like, oh, so we walked into this terrible mansion and it was spooky and there was these, then the wind and then and what happened? What happened? And nothing. And then we just went back home and we chilled. So that's why it's even more disappointing. So this story just ends there. So there was a guy, he grabbed him by the cock and Terry was, uh, felt bad about it and didn't do anything. And I don't know how long it was. Was it until now that he came up with this or was it later that he, he like, came up with this story, you know, publicly spoke about it. And the, of course, the guy, like, uh, I think, apologized. And uh, I mean, he he was fired or something. He lost, I mean, he was um, punished for what he did. But the, the story is that, that Terry now just drew this out of the hat. And he's back in the hashtag MeToo movement. And he's one of all the victims. And here's my problem with this. Was this cool? What happened to him? No, of course not. Would this be okay with anyone? Of course not. But how damaged exact, how damaged and how how much pain and suffering did Terry actually go through because of this event is something that I'm questioning. Because I'm thinking in my mind, did Terry suffer as much as a woman that, for example, was uh, was raped by Bill Cosby? There was drugged, there was raped, there was scared and, and was told, if you tell anyone, it's over, your life is over, your career is over. Can we put this in the same hashtag? Can we say, yeah, this is hashtag me too? Are you fucking serious right now? Can you say that you want to be in this group of people that were really fucking destroyed, their lives were ruined, they're fucked for life because someone grabbed your cock? Are you fucking kidding me? You know that something like this happened to me? And I didn't even, I even forgot about it until I read this story. Of course, in my case, it was a girl, but, but it was equally, like it wasn't something I was looking for. I remember it clearly. I was like, I think I was 22. I was, I was in some club and I was actually in New York. It was in a club and I was just walking. It was one of those things on like a couple levels. And I was walking between the levels and I stopped on one of the floors and I got my phone out of my pocket. I wanted to look at what time is it. And a, a girl walked by and she, uh, like, a, like a cougar, some, some older lady, and she grabbed me by the cock and looked at me and just walked, walked past, which is exactly something similar to what Terry is describing. And I remember that it was pretty interesting because never anything like this ever happened to me before or since, but uh, I think I'm okay. I think I didn't, like, nothing really happened in my life. I imagine, of course, it would be different if, for example, if it was, I don't know, my boss at work or something. Of course. 
but I mean, appro appropriately, my reaction would be different, right? In this case, I ignored it. In another case, I would not ignore it. But the point is, you can't just uh, just say you're, you're a victim and compare yourself to people that are really fucked up, that were real victims. And here's the problem. Okay, so let's back it up. And by the way, this is not even the end of the story. The end of the story is that people really jumped on Terry and a lot of black guys and, the, and a lot of other guys just started attacking him. And rightfully so. They didn't attack him. They, did, they were just making fun of him. I mean, not even making fun of him. They were like, dude, what the fuck? That was basically the response of a lot of people. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And listen, I really went, I, I said at the beginning, I, I respect this guy because not only is he a very hardworking guy, he's a cool dude, he's a family guy, but also he, he's an honest dude and he comes out with a lot and he seems like a very sensitive person. He came up with a lot of shit. Like, for example, he admitted some years ago that he was addicted to porn, like seriously, like it was threatening his family. So for an alpha male kind of guy to admit to something like this is a big deal because it is a problem for a lot of men and they're not admitting it. It's, it's a huge problem, and especially internet you know, makes this so convenient and so addictive. So for him to come up and be like, listen, I'm a grown ass man with family and with a career and all that and um, and good looking and I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can go cheat around and, you know, find women if I want. But no, I'm staying home and jerking off all day. So the, for him to, to say this was really cool. So this was different. So first of all, here's how it's different. And here's why people are attacking him. Because number one, people are questioning what I said, like how how hurt was he by this event? Because what the consequences were exactly, what, what happened for him? Nothing really happened significant for him. But now that he brings it up, it seems very convenient to bring it up. It seems like almost it's a political move. Like almost, I want to be a part of this because it seems like this movement is dominated by white um, females, mostly by liberal, you know, uh, females. So he, he can kind of win points in that community, which, well, admittedly, he's not very popular in that group of peoples, among that uh, group of people. So perhaps there is some agenda behind it. Perhaps it's uh, less innocent than we think it is. And of course, it might, might not be. Might, he might have just said it, and then he became defensive and started defending himself, and it escalated and became a, a subject. But nevertheless, uh, here's the problem. The problem is that you got to really check yourself, and you got to realize be, be kind of, um, you realize where you're standing and where you are in the world. And there are different actors, but every actor in a way is a performer. Every actor is someone that uses their body as a tool to make money. Okay. And there are different, different types of actors. Let's, let's give a couple examples of black actors. Okay. So you got, let's say Denzel Washington. You got Terry Crews. And let's say you got Martin Lawrence, okay? And if I'm a producer and I'm typecasting, okay? I'm not trying to come up with something wild and unexpected. I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to cast, let's say, Denzel in, in the dramatic role that requires a lot of acting skills. I'm going to cast Martin to uh, deliver the funny lines. And I'm going to get Terry for his body. He's going to be the big guy. He's going to be some guy. Standing. As a matter of fact, funny enough, I remember... I watched an interview, I think it was about, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, he was talking about Denzel Washington, who gave him his first job, because he saw him around the set, I think, of training day, he was a big guy, was working out, and he said, do you want to, you know, come in, and just stand, like, you know, be some, some gangster, and on the background, 
This is what started his career. His body started his career. So this guy is known for his looks. Okay, of course, this is no excuse for any sort of uh, inappropriate behavior from, from this producer. But you got to, first of all, you got to realize this, that uh, you, you are in this very um, uh, materialistic world, but you're completely, uh, you, you're living off of this. You're benefiting from your, your body being looked at all the time and, and, and being, you know, this object that, that people put in places, literally, to make the picture whole and to look good. Because he's not normally a leading man. He, he's usually put in somewhere to look big and look good. Okay. So this guy, this is his career. Then this is first thing you got to check. Second thing you got to check is what this event was. You know, this event was not some random party. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming if he was there and if producers were there, this was some sort of networking event. It wasn't just going there for fun. It was going there for work. Okay, going there to strike deals, to, to network people, to, to get to know people, to smile at producers, to show that big body to producers so you, they can see you, so they can cast you. Now, this is not me giving advice to Terry. This is what Terry was doing. This is why Terry was at this party. Okay, so when you have all of this, and then you got the guy who crosses the line, then why the fuck did you not check him? Then why the fuck did you not say, hey, hold on, listen. This is it. Like this is I got the body and all this, but this is the line. You you don't you don't do this. You just look at it, you know. But first of all, even knowing, even being like having all of this understanding of it is enough to to understand someone like this producer doing something like this. He is a creep. He's a pervert and all that. But but he wouldn't grab uh, this was by the way a comment that a lot of people made that he wouldn't grab some other guy okay he wouldn't grab some uh and it wasn't even the looks part it was it was kind of like I, I remember there was this guy he was he got involved and i used to listen to him many years ago it's like a has a some sort of a radio show Tariq nasheed and this guy's like a he's marketing himself as this super alpha male like super alpha uh black guy who's like uh yeah, he knows everything about uh, life and, and males and females. He uses the word males and females a lot. Anyone who uses the word males and females is, uh, yeah, it's, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta listen to them. So this guy, was, yeah, so he was saying, if I was at this party, no one would fucking touch me. This guy would touch me, his hand would be broken. And this is a, a big difference because this is how you gotta realize that uh, they're different, you know, there are men and women, you know, and, and as much as we want to be liberal in this uh, world where everyone identifies as everything, well, we're different, okay? So if a girl is raised in a certain way and the society puts some norms and expectations on her and those include being polite, looking good for, for guys because guys are going to check you out and guys uh, are, you know, if and you want to have a nice uh, partner in life and this and that and and you, you got to be, you know, sometimes quiet and you got, I mean, this is like traditionally those bad stereotypes, but those stereotypes are still in the, in your system. And then you got guys and the guys are, are on the other side. So for Terry to, first of all, kind of assume this kind of more feminine side where I'm selling my body and I'm like, I'm, you know, like the pretty girls, the alternative, the, the, the male version of the pretty girl in a movie. That's me. But on the other hand, he doesn't have to act like a fucking bitch. You know what I mean? 
he can be a man still. Like there's, this is what I don't understand. Here's, here's my biggest problem. If you accept that, it's a conscious decision. So he was a victim when the guy touched him. All right, true. But as soon as this happened, he had a choice to make. And he made that choice. There was no gun against his head. There was no fucking gun against his head. He knew maybe that, okay, the consequence of this would, if I said something, if I checked this guy right there, I would lose a job or this and that. Sure, of course. And this is exactly why you didn't do shit. So he made a decision. He said, I'm going to tolerate this so I can get a job. It's a decision. So how can you make this decision to be a whore for a day and then you revert back and you say, no, no, actually I was a victim. You can't have both. I'm sorry, you can't have both. You can't be, uh, oh, you know what? It would be actually pretty cool to get this role. It's so much cooler than I would actually accept this guy touching my dick. But then five minutes later, I got the role, it's over. Now I can already get this guy fired. You see, it's even, it's hypocritical. It's so fucked up. You're not supposed to do this. You either say, I mean, fucking, you know, I don't, for example, I was now, I told you I was away from town. I was on this conference from work, you know, and it's a similar event where there's a lot of parties, there's a lot of dinners, you take clients out and you, you're you nice to them and you act to them. I've, I, I'm so careful not to make anything inappropriate because a lot of people are drinking. I'm, I'm careful not to drink a single glass over that, you know, I'm drinking more water and, 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 and cola and stuff that then just to make sure that I'm not even in, in a position where someone might trip on me, you know what I mean? Like, like this producer. And this Terry Grice is going there, taking this, accepting it, moving forward, and then going back and changing history. You can't fucking do this. So this is my problem with Terry. And he got checked by people. And then the, the funniest thing was, what was this guy's name? Uh, it was a comedian who, who he, they got a, into a heated argument, a, a black comedian, and they were like fighting over this. And, um, and Terry said something like, started going nuts. I mean, man, he, he was like toxic masculinity, this toxic masculinity, that. And he said, and, and the guy was like, why didn't you hit the guy or something like this? I don't, you know, it was, it, it came down to like, why didn't you smack the guy? And Terry, and Terry's response was something like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go smack you now. I'm like, what? So now Terry, this bitch that got this, that was sitting there and, and having this guy fucking caress his dick in front of his, if, if his wife and then blaming the wife for watching his rape. Now he's going to go and fucking beat people up. They're telling him the truth. What the fuck, man? What the fuck? So, so. This, is, this was a disgrace, and I was really disappointed, to say the least, by Terry, because I, I really like the guy, and I think he made a huge mistake, and I hope that um, he kind of, you know, I, first of all, I hope that it wasn't just for those political benefits. I hope that it was just a, an innocent slip, like he really, you know, admitted to what happened, and then he didn't realize that he sounded like a bitch, and then he became defensive. I hope it was that, and I hope he, he's going to, like, you know, get to a real place but man this was fucking sad it was really sad it's oh, it's always sad to see like a like a strong successful man uh get to you know this victim game 
because I, I understand, you know, the, the problems that we as, as men have this kind of thing where you're not supposed to show weakness, you're not supposed to show any emotions and stuff like this. Uh, this is different. I'm not talking about this. I'm saying victimhood, this, this, this game, and especially it's very dangerous for, for the black community in the States because they use it a lot. They abuse this game of victimhood and uh, they use it in, for their advantage all the time. It's all about, you know, um, it's because of uh, history, it's because of white privilege, every, everything can be a problem, anything can be a problem when you're looking for excuses, so it's, it's, a, it's a tricky game to play, so I hope he recovers from this. And then the next thing that was very interesting happened after this, and actually I think that Terry was even involved in this, he, I think he commented on this, was uh, the Liam Neeson story, and that is something really interesting, so I don't know if you guys know what happened, but basically, uh, Liam Neeson got into this really, really honest interview, I think with The Independent in the UK, and he said that, I don't know when it was, like years ago, uh, he had a female friend that told him, like some really close friend, that admitted that she got raped and he wanted to find out more what happened, who did it, who was it. And she didn't know any of that. And she only knew that it was a black guy. So she said it was a black guy who did it. And Liam Neeson in this interview admits that he got to such a got into such a bad place, such a mentally uh, you know difficult place that he got he was going out for about a week going to pubs, looking for any black person that would start a fight with him, hoping that that would happen so that he could kill some black guy. So this was, of course, picked up and became a huge deal. And people started, of course, like complete outrage and fuck that guy and he's racist and all this. Uh, so I, what I did was I did some reading, just wanted to hear a couple people's opinions on this because it's, a, it's an interesting subject. And then I actually found the interview and I listened to the guy. And man, I'm feeling for this guy so much because again, in my opinion, it's a complete misunderstanding and it's just, you know, jumping on this train of, of, of trigger happy people, bringing in down another older successful white guy. For, for any remarks that are, are controversial. So here's, here's what my take on this. Well, first of all, first of all, I really admire Liam Neeson now for the honesty that he has because this is, he, he admits in the interview and he says, this is the first time I ever admit to this. I've never told anyone about this. Uh, and the reason he does it was was to share a lesson to, to, so the real value, which again, people are missing completely from this picture, was he was talking about revenge. And he was talking about his upbringing, where he's coming from, Northern Ireland, and, and all the troubles there. He, he's, he's talking about all the people that he knew that died in hunger strikes. He's talking about people that were close to him that were so stubborn and, and, and living on this belief that, uh, revenge is such a powerful tool that you always have to exploit that revenge empowers you that revenge is your way of, of gaining back power 
that was it was just the way he was brought up. And he says, I am ashamed to even admit that I was in this state of mind. I couldn't can't believe that I was thinking this. He must have been much younger and much more, you know, uh, volatile emotionally and, and going through this trauma and this experience that, that his friend went through. And the only way he could deal with this was look for a revenge. So people completely missed that part, missed the part that this is a guy who shows so much strength to share something so uh, shameful. It's coming from such a dark place just to maybe share this information with people so people can learn. And they were like, oh, he's racist. Fuck that guy. He's over. His career is over. He's racist. And then I found, actually, I was watching Sam Harris talk about it. I think on Joe Rogan, he he said that this is not racism. And so when Sam Harris says something like this, I listen. Because he he basically said, well, first of all, it it would work with any group of people, first of all. So he would say, I don't know, uh, an Italian uh, pizza chef rape this girl i'm looking for i'm going to uh it, to italian restaurants to to pick a fight okay so it would work with any group of people uh but he said it was something he actually had a term for it i forgot it was something like instrumental violence or something which is like a, a an old kind of again evolutionary uh baggage that we have which is very very uh, logical actually well when you're part of one group of people and someone from another tribe does some shit like comes and rapes your women you can see any person from that tribe and you're gonna fucking kill them like this is a tribal mechanism for survival it's basically it's our tribe versus their tribe these guys are fuckers so if i see one of them doesn't matter who it is doesn't matter if i know him i see whatever recognize the color of clothes or i recognize that this guy's from that tribe i'm gonna fucking kill that guy so this runs deep this is like a subconscious again some like deep level of of human nature really dark coming from really dark dark places and especially when it comes to to racial things uh like i'm this is how i look i look in my mirror i look at the people around me from an early age from from being a, a child then i look at someone else he's different okay so i can attribute different values to this person to me whatever and if there's a fight if there's a conflict i'm putting like i'm projecting all the shit that i have on that group it's 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 normal psychology. It's not even like uh, it's it's racism, perhaps in some uh, specific case, but not in general. Okay, and so in, in and so in this case, it's it's very interesting because I mean, think about it. When you watch like even those videos of like, for example, kids like black kids in Africa seeing a blonde girl for the first time and reacting and like touching her hair and stuff. I'm talking about like some. Uh, isolated tribe that never seen a, a person of other you know we are curious we're interesting and we have these mechanisms to recognize and to uh, again attach values to different groups of people so i don't know personally and i tend to believe sam that he's saying this this wasn't racism this was just a, this sort of reaction and you think about it from a guy's perspective we are men we're we were the gatherers all right we, i mean sorry we're the hunters right we're supposed to target something and look for targets constantly. Be like, okay, this is a target. So everything similar to this that has like four legs like this and it's, it's hairy, it's walking like this and eating grass. I need to look for that similar thing and hunt it. So in this case, Liam was like, okay, all I know about this guy is he's black. I, go, I know nothing else. So this is my target. It's like a detective, okay? You, you narrow down things. Okay, this is black now, then it's this, then it's that, then it's this. 
and it's it was so many black people that actually defended him. So I'm happy that in this case, it wasn't completely blown out of proportion. And if you really listen to the interview, which of course, in all of these cases, no one ever does, right? So everyone is always just quotes, a photo, and usually like the worst kind of photo, uh, like an uh, expensive suit somewhere coming from a on, on some uh, gala, you know, wearing an expensive suit and some quote, like I wanted to kill black guys, whatever. And uh, of course, yeah, use it for populist reasons. Of course, get everyone on the train of hate. And the, the whole thing with like this trigger happy mechanism, man, if it was anything else, if it was like, okay, he's Irish. So if, if it was a, a Scottish guy, no one would give a fuck. If it was a, a British guy, it wouldn't be a story. It wouldn't be a story. It's only because it was a black guy that it's a story now. And the the, the story behind is simple. It's, it's just... Uh, Okay, we're because the story comes from the white people. Black people don't make a fuss about this. Trust me, it, it was the black people that defended him mostly. I, I think besides maybe Terry Crews or these guys, but it's the white people that get outraged because it's so much cooler when we say we used to be historically inappropriate and you know, we're the bad guys historically. So now fuck you, Liam. Fuck you. You're one of the rich. You know, no one hates. There was a joke, I think. I don't know if it was Dave Chappelle that says like the, uh, the people that ha hate rich white people the most are poor white people <laughs> or something like this. I'm, maybe I'm paraphrasing. But the point is exactly this. Like it was so convenient to be like, fuck you, Liam. Now you, now we got you, you son of a bitch. You got everything. You're such a cool dude. We, we just found one weakness and it's just so easy, you know? And uh, And the thing is, I really admired this honesty. Like I said, I mean, this guy was really... I mean, to say something like this, do you, do you understand how, how often this happens? How, how many of these deeply hidden subconscious ideas we have, especially with race? I mean, I can only imagine, like if, if for example, there's a black guy who starts a relationship with a white girl, what he would think, like subconsciously, what are his thoughts? Or, or like, yeah, on those... Uh, multiracial relationships and stuff. And there's so many things are unsaid and, uh, and no one admits to. And this guy openly comes out and says, listen, this was what happened. This is what happened. This is how I dealt with it. It was, I was lucky enough that nothing happened, but man, and this is what I learned from it. And this is why I'm sharing it with you guys. And everyone's, thank you very much. Now you, it's over. Like, what the fuck, man? I mean, this is, this is it, man. We never appreciate uh, any of, of these lessons. And, and this is what I hate about this kind of fucking times that we live in, is that we create this um, scary environment where no one can be honest. And honesty, honesty is, is strength. This guy is showing incredible integrity and strength when he's doing this. And we're trying to take this away so that we, so we remove the incentive from anyone who's willing to share anything like this, this is, we're entering some, we're gonna, we're gonna suffer from this so bad. I was thinking, for example, what are the consequences of all of this liberal bullshit on, on relationships, for example, if you think about it, the whole thing with like, uh, because of the, the Me Too's and, and all the, all the mm, rape culture, which is another wonderful term that doesn't exist, uh, we have this thing where now it's we have all these educational videos and stuff where like you're supposed to ask permission for anything, 
like sexually, may I hold your hand? Is it okay if I look in, in your eyes for longer than two seconds? May I now approach you and kiss you and introduce my tongue in, in your mouth? Like this, uh, first of all, no. Okay, <laughs> first of all, this is not how it works. Uh, but the problem is that we all know about it and we laugh about it because we see how stupid this is. But maybe there are kids now growing up who see this and they have really stupid parents who go, yeah, yeah, listen to this. Yeah, whatever they say, who will grow up with this idea. And they would, the, the problem with this is they would not even know that a better world exists. And a better world is a world like, for example, look at this. The bedroom, you know, traditionally is a place where it's supposed to be the safest environment. It's supposed to be a place where you can, I mean, there are things like dirty talk. There are things like spanking and like sexual fantasies. And there's even rape sexual fantasies. Girls sometimes have fantasies about being raped. They would sometimes, if they're really honest with you, tell you stuff like, I want, to, I want you to pretend like you don't know me. Or I want you to go out with me. And then we pretend like we just met. Or you're going to be behind the tree. And you know, like weird shit, like weird shit like this. But it's good to be honest about this because if the bedroom is the safe space, you can do it then and there in this environment. So this is the only place that a woman can experience this in a safe way. And that will make her feel empowered. So for example, I had this really interesting case. A friend of mine is dating this girl who is just retarded. <laughs> I don't want to, okay, maybe I, I pushed it too hard. She's intelligent, but she's very ignorant. Okay, let's put it this way. She's ignorant. She doesn't know much. So one day she, I'm texting the, the dude and she looks at his phone and she sees that I use the word bitch. And I'm describing a female, like Tariq Nasheed would say. I'm just saying, so this bitch or that bitch. And okay, maybe it's not the most appropriate thing to use. Okay, sure. I understand her her feeling a little confused, like, why would he use that terrible word? But I'm going to tell you where I come from. My story is this, when I, you know, doing what I do, especially like when my experience with, with comedy and doing being on stage, I am very particular about my use of words. And I can wield words. And I can use them as such in such ways and such subtle ways that I can make sure that if I, if I have a girl that I really like, and if she's okay with this, I can say, I can call her my bitch. And this will be the nicest thing she'll ever hear in her fucking life. And this would be the sweetest word in her life. Or I can see this ignorant fucking bitch and call her a bitch and it will be the worst thing and it will make her cry. Okay. Because it's not about the specific word. It's about the values that I attribute to it. It's about the meaning that I, in, I input in this word when I put it in the oven and I cook it and then I take it out. This is what is important. It's the meaning that I put in it, not the actual words. So this is why it's such a big deal in this society when we have like this problem with freedom of speech and this word is bad and this word is bad and you're not supposed to do it and th those are the pronouns. It's terrible for that reason because you're, you're degrading things. You, all of a sudden from this place where we after 
thousands of years of evolution, we came to a place where we have such powerful use of words that we can make poetry of them. You can we can make you can build these constructs, difficult constructions of words, and, and make them mean anything. You can have double entendres, and you can have any sort of um, ironical spins on words, and build these incredible convoluted conundrums. And now we can't do it anymore. Now, because this word, this word in general, it doesn't matter what you mean, is bad. So this and this is problematic. So to go back to this, you know, when you're in the safe space, you can do these things and experience these things and feel safe, and then you feel good. Because and why is this important? Well, it is important sometimes for girls who, for example, because again of the social conditioning, because of where they are coming from, they can't do stuff. They're not supposed to feel some sort of stuff, you know? Like they're supposed to be good and, and, and polite. They're not supposed to be sluts. They're not supposed to want to have a threesome. They're not supposed to want to suck this guy's dick really hard, right? So it is only in that safe environment of the bedroom where you can call her a bitch and slap her around and do this. And only if she's okay with this, only if she wants it, she does it, she sees it, she's done it, and she's not a slut anymore. She can go out and be nice again outside. No one knows about it, only her and you, and you have this bubble. Uh, this is the intimate world that you both created. But now in this world where you're supposed to ask permission for anything, and you're not even supposed to use those words, and you're not even supposed to do these things, and she knows by default that, oh, you're the uh, toxic masculine guy, and this and this and that, she doesn't even, even realize this the, that these things exist, and as a result, they're suppressed. They're suppressed inside and they come out one way or another. And one way they come out is this fucking toxic feminine bullshit where they go out and they, they, they become passive aggressive. And then uh, you have that like, remember this dude, humongous? Yeah, this, this girl is exactly the kind of girl who's, well, we have this expression in Bulgaria, uh, or this is exactly, it's a girl who hasn't had enough, you know, of a good time. So she, you know, I, I know it sounds bad, but it's just, I fucking, I, I swear this is exactly why she was like this. You know, this guy, I don't know if you remember, it was an old story, but it was a guy who, basically a girl got pissed off at a guy and she pulled out his, uh, her, her cell phone and she starts like recording him. And he's like, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? In his face. And he's like, my name is Hugh humongous and this guy was like became super famous for just for his incredible self-control and this bitch i would just fucking knock her out i swear to god i've never been confronted i've never hit a person but this bitch i would fucking knock her teeth out i swear to god like i would just i would go to prison to prison with a smile on my face after i fucking killed her so this guy was it was funny because then when it became so popular on the internet uh, she started a campaign to raise money for some reason. I don't know why she wanted money. She, I guess she wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that she embarrassed herself publicly. She wanted money. And then someone came out with the idea because this guy was like a normal dude, like working in some shop. Like no one even knew this guy. They made a, a counter campaign for him to make money for him. And they made like a couple of thousand times more the amount of money than she raised. So this girl, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, well, I don't know. I hope she, one day she realizes the thing. But, but that's my point. So my point is, 
people can't experience some really good things anymore um, because they're afraid. And, the, and this is the problem. The problem is that you have to be open to risk for the benefit of an overall betterment of things. Like it's, it's in anything. Same thing as in comedy. This is why comedy starts sucking. It, and it's going to only get worse because all this shit that's happening in the States and I mean, where it all comes from, right? So uh, one day, I don't know, it's not going in a good direction, man. They're trying the counter thing where they're trying to say, okay, we collect all cell phones. No one's supposed to record any. It's, it's, it's not going to be a solution because a lot of people are not even going to risk that. A lot of people are going to be like, fuck it. Maybe we didn't find all the cell phones. Maybe someone will record me, so I better not go all the way in. And this is just bad because um, I was I was exactly I was just the other day I was coming I was in a taxi driving to the airport to come back home and I was admittedly I was tired so I was off my game like already my mind was kind of like I was uh, not the quickest to come up with the most appropriate words but the guy in the taxi was also like pissed off for some reason and. It was so it was in London, and the guy was at some point it was like quiet, a couple of people in the car. And I go, Is it okay if I um, connect my phone to the Bluetooth so I can play some music? Because it was, it was about to be like a, an hour ride at least. It goes, Yeah, as long as you don't play anything, it's not English. Not, or not, you know, it's not in English, you know, which was a stupid comment like he, he tried to make a comment like i don't know where the fuck you're from but don't play your own shit that was basically his idea but i, I didn't get offended at all i was like no no of course not no, no. and and i try to counter it with a joke because that's what i always do i'm never confrontational even when people try to pick a fight with me i always try to downplay it with a with humor and so we all laugh at it in the end but i guess i wasn't understood properly so i said and i said no, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna play, I'm not gonna play my playlist of my favorite Indian songs. And the guy just snapped, he's like, I'm not Indian, by the way. He looked like in the mirror, he looks straight in my eyes, I'm like, no, I'm not fucking Indian, man. And I go, first of all, he didn't even look Indian, second of all, even if he was Indian, like, first of all, it, it was a joke. He wasn't Indian, so how could he even be offended by something like this? But that was it. I mean, people people don't understand nowadays. People are like, people get offended on behalf of other people now. It's that bad. It's that bad. I've had this many times, actually, where I talk with someone about something and go, man, do you realize it's just guys here? There's no girls. So how come you offended on behalf of a girl that might be here if she's not at the moment or on behalf of someone or some minority or some... What are you fucking doing, man? And and I, I make the same... See, the way I am, I don't adjust my behavior for... I mean, of course I adjust it, but for example, if I'm with uh, at a professional setting, but if I'm with a group of people uh, in, like outside of work, I'm pretty much the same regardless of whether I'm with guys or with girls or with gays or with blacks. Or, I'm the same. But they assume I'm not. <laughs> they assume, oh... You only said it because it was this, and so just fuck you, man. Just just shut up. D just be again. If you were honest, get a. If you get offended, really offended, then then say it. Don't just in case someone would be offended, 
prevent something from happening. That's, that's, that's the worst thing that can happen because this is how we get where we are now. Because this is how Terry Crews is on the hashtag me too and a bunch of other guys because they assume, oh yeah, I'm buying this thing. Uh, so I guess I'll be with these guys now. No, they, they have their own shit. They're dealing with their own rapes and their own lives and their own shit. So come up with your own stuff. Support them, but don't be a part of them because you're not. You're not like them. And it's good to be different. It's not, it, you know, this whole identity politics is bad. Just keep your identity, keep your originality, keep your, you know, spirit. Be, you know, prevail in it. Uh, cherish, nourish it, show it, you know. Like Liam Neeson, he's like, I'm unique. This was what happened to me. And uniqueness is about not just uniquely good. It's, it's unique. That's it. It's good and bad. And this case was bad. So, but he shared it. And this is what makes him strong. And people, you know, don't even appreciate it nowadays. <sighs> anyway, but I mean, those are some harsh topics. And I, I just wanted to talk about this for a second. But on a better note, check this out, guys. I got the fucking Nintendo Switch. <laughs> It's so great, man. I'm really happy about this. And the older I get, the more retarded I get. Like, I'm just regrading, digressing to, like, an older state uh, of mine. I have, like, currently, I have the... Wait, where is this? I have the Zelda. I have the Super Smash Bros. I have Super Mario Odyssey. I have these... It's like the old games. Uh, I have Doom, of course. I had to install it. I played it first. first thing I did. And this is so goddamn cool, man. It was so fucking awesome. Uh, I, I was surprised. So my biggest concern was, you know what? I'm probably not going to play it. <laughs> I'm going to play it for five minutes. And like everything, I'm going to get bored. But so far, it's been like two weeks. And I really like it. It's great. And I got like a bunch of accessories. And I really like those cat cartridges, which you put in the small thingies. Like it reminds me like the old days when you put a cartridge in. Uh, it looks like an SD card basically the game if you buy it physically you can always download it it's really convenient it's nice on the go i was playing on the plane playing on the on the cab ever in the hotel everywhere it's, it's really cool and this is why i got it for the handheld aspect because i don't even have a tv here here because uh, i don't want i mean i watch a movie sometimes on the computer so i don't want to sit in front of the tv i'd rather go for a coffee sit down play a game you know it's it's so convenient i put it in my backpack go with the bike somewhere sit down play and it's really nice and I was thinking, you know, uh, I don't know what to play because I was like always w was into like these uh, shooter games. So that's why I got the Doom and uh, it's like the fifth time I'm playing it. But um, I, I was reading all these reviews and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I, I should try the actually uh, the, the games that were developed for it, you know, the proprietary games. And the, I mean, they were like always on the top of the list. And I know those websites with lists, they're all like, fuck, I mean, they're all bought by, or paid by the provider of the game, that makes sense, it's, I mean, we use affiliates too, we know how that works, but the point is, uh, it, it actually makes sense, and all these games like the Zelda or the Super Mario Odyssey, they really look good on, on this platform, and they're, they're shit, and it's like, like the Super Mario Odyssey, it's not, it's not just this, you like, for example, you use the gerometer sometimes like to aim with this, or you can like throw stuff like this with the shaking motion of, of the controller, or you can use the touch screen. So it's like a bunch of stuff you can do that you don't use really use a controller like a PlayStation controller for. So it's, it's a lot of stuff going on. And it's pretty cool. It's very fun. 
And yeah, I've been playing. It's it's nice. You know, you know the thing about this is if I have to be honest, I got into stuff like this, like caring more about like things that I didn't really care for about uh, things that you would call impractical. After I had my like psychedelic experiences in the jungle that I mentioned before, simply because one of the messages that I got was that I wasn't really happy because I wasn't treating myself. You know, once in a while, it's good to treat yourself. Just give yourself something nice, reward yourself, and you're going to be happy this way. Otherwise, if you just, there are a lot of people who are like this, they're just grinding, you know, and they're just saving money and they're just working hard. And they, for example, go abroad, but they all, they do nothing. They see nothing. And you go, wow, you live where? Oh my God, you must have seen this and this and this. No, I was just sitting home and, and then they come home and spend all their money on stupid shit. And I never understood this. And I was like, why, why, why are you doing this? If it's so bad abroad, where, wherever you live and work, why do you do this? Why do you for, force yourself uh, to go through this? And the, the truth is, you know, I don't know why they do it. But at least me, I, I like to reward myself occasionally. You know, it's nice to, um, to do all that, to save, obviously be smart, you know, save money, do, do you know, everything like you have responsibilities, right, to take care of. But if you're a single guy like me and, you know, I have no, nothing at the moment that I'm worried for, the world is not going to end if I play a game. I really, you know, enjoy the moment. It's, it's pretty cool. And, um, and to come back at the tattoos, also, it was kind of similar in, this, in that sense that I got into tattoos in the first place was like, you know, I, I just want to do something nice for myself. That just, you sp it's, it's in a sense, it's like the dumbest thing to spend spend money on and and if you guys are from bulgaria who are listening at the moment you understand me exactly because we have this mentality that money is uh, you got to spend it on something practical it's got to be some practical aspect to it you know and what's less practical than this it's like i can go to a casino and throw i might as well throw money like or just throw money in the river you know but in this sense i i mean tattoos by the way i think you know I don't know if I've spoken about tattoos on this show. I might have many times, but my th my thought is this. Uh, a, you know, this is something that actually, if I can quote John Mayer on this, a good tattoo is a good thing and a bad tattoo is could be a terrible thing. But just because it's such an open subject and you shouldn't just put it in, in a very narrow category because it's not. Because if you think about it, it's been around for thousands of years. It has so many applications. And even though it comes in and out of fashion... In general, it is it is a pretty um, uh, kind of big thing, and it it can again uh, it can have many meanings. Okay, it could be something that can help you belong to a certain group, a culture. It could be so like those tribal tattoos that we belong to this tribe and this is us. So it it helps you um, uh, display or maintain some sort of identity. Uh, it could be a um, fashion statement. You could wear it, I, I suppose, uh, like a, like you would wear jewelry. Uh, you know, this is like, oh, it's it looks nice. It's colorful. It's nice. Um, it could be for some sort of like memory thing, like, you know, memento. Like for me, it was, this is just like to remind myself of like my experiences. And I, I imbue this with a lot of meaning. I know this meaning. It's personally very valuable for me. It's a result of a lot of uh, things that happen to me. Once it, the idea crystallizes in this form, it's like in the in the Zelda where you 
where they, <laughs> there's this thing where like you discover one of the uh, not shrines but uh, those fucking toll what are you, what were they called um, like the fast travel teleports or whatever and like this just drop distills the map and falls down in your tablet or something so so this is like a distilled combination of thoughts and experiences that just drops in a form of ink comes out down in my skin and stays there forever so now I can go back and and then therefore this this big uh, uh, thought that a lot of people that don't have tattoos is how can I come up with something that's good enough that's important enough that I will forever like this what if I tomorrow change my mind well when I say this it doesn't really matter because now this is a result of literally years could be even my whole life up till um, until now like 28 years of experience is distilled in one tattoo but this one could be a good a good week that i had and this one actually could be a good fucking few hours that i had you know just put put it here so i always remember this one moment so so it could be like that and it and um it it could be artistic it could be beautiful it could be meaningful it could be personal it could be cultural it could be many things uh but yeah i mean obviously i'm not i'm not advocating it like if you feel like you 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 want to do it do it if not don't do it it's not like you know it's uh, everyone should have it in my opinion i mean the, the least people the less people have it the better you know the more unique i'm gonna use. and now it's this like a uh kind of what do you call it hipster thing and everyone wants everyone has tattoos especially if you go like to some countries everyone has tattoos uh but but the thing is you know uh, it, it's nice. Like I say, if, if it's meaningful, it's nice. And uh, literally the first thought I had when I put my first tattoo on was, why have I waited so long? <laughs> like I thought, Jesus, man, this this is nice. You know, I should have done it. And, and actually this, so the third one that I did now is the first one that I actually wanted to do. You know, the very first one, but I, I was postponing it, thought about it for years. And then uh, this one was kind of like a I want to do it now. I came up with this. Boom, did it. This one is because I was in Japan. Boom, did it. I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to go back tomorrow. So I, I better. I might as well do it. And this one was like, okay, so let's get back to the original idea. And the original idea was this quote, which is, Docere uh, delectare et movere. This was written by Cicero in, I think, the third century before Christ. He wrote this book, The uh, Orator, you know, like orator, like public speaker. And uh, this was his uh, quote, Docere delectare et morve, which means teach or to teach, to uh, please or to entertain and to move emotionally. And those were the three goals of an orator or of a public speaker. And this was kind of forgotten in a sense until the Renaissance when it got picked up again. You know, the Renaissance renewed a lot of uh, old Roman uh teachings and books and stuff and 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 the artists in europe kind of rediscovered this quote again it became very popular and it was adopted as as a goal not just for a public speaker but for any artist and if you think about it it is like to like think about it whatever you're doing whether you're making paintings or music or you're an actor or you're a writer doesn't matter or you're doing a podcast doesn't matter the you, it's good to have those three to cover those three things. If you do that, you you cover pretty much everything. You teach people with your work, you move them emotionally, and you entertain them. You make them laugh. So so you you basically cover all of that. So I always like this quote ever since I was like fifteen. I think I first read it in school, and 
I really liked it. It always resonated with me. And I was like, ah, you know, I've always been involved in one or another form of art. Like it was either music or comedy or podcasts or videos or this or writing or this or that. Or even in, in, uh, in your professional life, even when you go to work and doesn't matter if you know if you meet a person on the street you can still teach them something interesting or you can uh, make them feel special or you can make them laugh so i thought this is it and i put this and the the thing about it is if you look at it i don't know if you see okay so that's the docere part i wanted to break it down so i kind of moved it around so i put i put this one here at movera here and this part, <laughs> so I removed delectare, which was like the pleasure or the entertainment part, which I always kind of uh, felt most comfortable with because the most that I've done was always try to be funny, right? Always try to be goofy. These things actually, docere, which I'm, docere and, and movere, which are the, the two that I'm the least um, um, comfortable with. I'm not like an academic person. So when I say something, even when I teach you, it's not like uh, I, I'm qualified for that, really. And when I, and I'm not really good at moving people. Like I haven't, and my goal is not really to make you cry or something, you know, like with my podcast. But, so these are kind of on the sides. But this one, the delectare was always like the main thing. What I always try to usually make people laugh. So, or make them feel nice, good about themselves in a happy-go-lucky way. So, but I wanted to change it up and, and remove this word and replace it with something else just to break it down. Because I was like, I know that probably no one has, or maybe, I don't know how many people have this quote on a tattoo. It's not like the most famous quote in the world, but still, if I can make this even more original. So this thing, okay. So this thing that I drew here, let me show you again so you can see what I'm talking about. It looks like a, an eye, right? And then it goes into this real weird, weird juju. So this weird juju, I drew it myself on a piece of paper. And then I send it to the tattooist. And this one, actually, I did a walk-in. I just walked in and I said, do you, can you do a walk-in? It's like, can you come in 30 minutes? Okay, I came in, boom, did it. Came out, I was done. And so this juju I drew on a piece of paper. And the, the story behind it is uh, interesting. So this one, it starts with an I because I think I was trying to write something like, it's okay, like I'm okay. And as, as I started writing E-I, it started like diverting into this madness because the truth is that I was tripping my balls out on fucking acid when I wrote this. And I had the fucking time of my life, you know? And um, I got it from a guy here. It was like, uh, a week over a week ago and I, I wasn't you know I never was because I've tried everything else but naturally you know mushrooms uh, um, truffles ayahuasca the toad mescaline all of that natural substances but uh, but acid LSD you know it's a it's a chemical you know, it, it is derived from a natural substance it is like from a mold uh, fungi growing on wheat, right? So it, it is natural. It's very similar to psilocybin in that sense. But it's not. It's, it's made, produced. So it's like, I don't know, man. I know it's, it's, it's okay, but the fact that I don't trust it, like, you know, all these things, you can see them grow, you can get them, you can, you know, it's a, it's a natural thing. But this one, but then a guy that I met, he was like, no, man, it's okay. I know it. I'm like, I don't know. How do you know it? Well, I've done it like 60 times, so I know it. 
And I go, what? And this was a guy that I had no idea that this guy was like a proper psychonaut. This guy was fucking traveling the dimensions and was unbelievable. And this guy has incredible knowledge. And I'm like, dude, let's fucking do it. And he goes, listen, I know that you've done it because for me, it's been like 15 times. I'm also like pretty experienced. You know, there's a couple of people in this sort of thing, in this aspect. There are people who try it and once once or twice in their lives and never do it again usually have a terrible experience or even have a great experience and still don't want to do it because they're overwhelmed i remember i had a friend i met in peru he was there for the retreat and he was um about 50 years old had grown-up kids and the only reason he was there was he he basically came in with with his best friend who had his birthday and he just wanted to celebrate in the jungle and all that had, had that fun and he came just for the company, but it was enjoyable for him as well. And he did it once and he was joking around, kidding, ha 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 all the time. And then the next day we have a group share and he only said, this was absolutely amazing. And he started crying. And I know he was, he didn't have a bad time. I know for sure he didn't lie. Like he, there was no reason he would lie. He really had an amazing time, but it was so amazing that he couldn't handle it anymore. And he left, he was like, I'm done. I've seen it all. I've, and this is the feeling that you always have after those things, that there's nothing more. There's just you, it's the infinite universe. You learn everything and you, there's nothing more. Of course, there is more in a sense. Uh, because if you're doing it in a, in a healing fashion, if you, and I always approach it in that way, if you're doing it to kind of cure yourself and to uh, get better, not just, uh, not just to explore this realm and these possibilities that exist in this other place. But if you're doing it to fix yourself, then you need to wait until you acquire some experiences and and life knocks you around and you accumulate some shit so that this can actually like reshuffle this and help you see what's actually good and what's bad, right? So in that sense, you can't overdo it because at one point it's not going to be valuable in that way anymore. It might be still interesting and whatever, like from that psychonautic perspective, but it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be curing anymore. I had this sensation by the second week when I was in the jungle because I already like kind of cured myself in a sense. And I already had only good experiences by the end. So I thought, oh, that's why, because I'm kind of good now. And I had like some some themes would repeat themselves and reaffirm that knowledge that I had. So I knew that I was I was good and I had no reason to return anytime soon. But it's been like seven, eight months and I haven't done anything. And then this guy comes up and he actually listened to the podcast and he told me, he's like, you know, this and this. And I had this experience. I was like, wow. So he's like, if you want, I can give it to you. And I'm like, all right, man, let's do it. Because it's been like seven, eight months. Like I say, maybe some things happened to me. I, a lot of changes happened. I moved. I live in a different country, do different things. So I thought, let me see. Maybe I'll learn something new. Maybe I'll get, gain new perspective. Which really, that's what it is. It's You go to another place. And from that place, you see this place. So you really get to re, reaffirm things. And also, in another sense, it was like renewing my psychedelic vows, you know, like people are married for 20 years and then they renew the vows. They still, they still love each other and everything's great. But just to get this reconfirmation, reaffirmation, it's like, okay, I'm back. I, uh, I returned. This is me now. This is how I changed. This is how I integrated the knowledge from before. What else is there for me? And I had this amazing time because uh, basically that was it. I mean, my, my message this time was um, 
uh, it was completely positive. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, there was nothing to fix, you know. I, I was really good, and but still, you know, I had I had a great time. Anyway, so so the the guy was like, you know, you've done your stuff, but because you've never done this one in particular, I would say, you know, be careful and just take one tab. You know, those are, they're the tabs that are um, dipped in the substance. It's soaked in it. It's paper, piece of paper, and you put it in, and it dissolves in your mouth. So he goes, the guy that I got it from is uh, telling me this is really strong, and I tried it, I confirm it is. So he says it's like 500 micrograms, and uh, like the highest dose is supposed to be 400. So in other words, anything above 400 like gives you the ultimate trip, like nothing more will happen with more. And there's no overdosing, it's just that nothing more will happen. So he says, just take half of it, just in case. Plus it's a, a much longer trip, he says, it could be many hours. So of course, knowing me, I uh, I took three. <laughs> I took three whole. Of course, I took all precautions. I didn't tell anyone, by the way. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to freak people out. For example, if I would tell Steph Joe about it, he's so paranoid. He's such a because he's over analytical. And if I would tell him, and then I would panic, and then I would try to text him or something, he would panic even more, and then it would go out of control. So I didn't tell anyone. So this this guy was the only one who knew. And at some point, he actually stopped by and he was like, I want to check on you, see if everything is okay. I was like, okay. And uh, yeah, so I did this. It was an amazing experience. And the surprising thing, if I have to compare it to all of these other things, was how much in control I was. First of all, it's much more manageable. It's no comparison with mushrooms at, at huge doses or ayahuasca especially. There's nothing. When you drink a whole bunch of ayahuasca, you're knocked out. You're gone. You can't even get up. You're fucked. This thing, man, I fucking ate some food. I took a shower, put my clothes on. I got out. I was walking around. I went to the sea. I was listening to my music on my headphones. Had the time of my life, man. I was in complete control. I was... I was talking to people. Of course, you're not. You can't do math calculus on, on it, but it's it's much more manageable. So I I completely got into the whole music thing and how people do it. Like for music was amazing, but it gave me a whole nother perspective on music and and the whole you know like so. It, first of all, yeah, the difference is that um, these things like ayahuasca and, and the DMT and psilocybin, all this. They're so much stronger, and the way that they work is they basically they tell you what what's gonna happen. All right, it's like you get on the ride, and we are like we're gonna drive you, and we and they take you, and they do whatever the fuck they want with you. So if it's bad, you have no way of coming out of the badness of it. They show you what they want to show you. If it makes sense, it makes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. This thing, it's much milder. So it, even at these high doses, it's basically like. You are in, and it was like over 13 hours, man, of this. So this is, this wasn't re, I mean, I'm sure it, there, there was no issue of like not to, no tolerance or anything like this really hit me hard, but I was in complete control and I was like influencing what I wanted. Like if I wanted to see this or experience this, I would do that. And I, I would, I was even like looking for trouble, looking for, uh, where is this sad? Sometimes I had sad moments with these experiences. Where is like the drama? I don't see anything. It it was all good. I had amazing visuals. I had amazing stuff. I, uh, you know, um, for example, you know, I had this, and then of course it's very similar to what what a lot of people were describing. 
uh, you can kind of see an underlining world behind this world, a kind of a mechanical insect-like, you know, existence uh, that is that is always there, but you don't see it until you're under the influence of this. And it's everywhere around you. And it's kind of, uh, it's, it's very interesting. I was seeing these like... Uh, mechanical thingies walk, moving around everywhere. You could kind of see the, the mechanical green elves, you know, or, or, or feel them, their presence. And of course, every time that you describe these things, you, I mean, if anyone of you has ever done it, knows that it does, it makes, it does uh, no, um, it doesn't help describing it because uh, it's like basically like trying to measure water with, with, a, with a fork. I give this example because try to, Try to explain water to someone who's never seen, or try to explain, uh, explain an ocean to someone who's never seen it. And the only tool you have to, to describe it is a fork. How would you do it? You can't. A fork is not a tool to describe an ocean. To describe it, you got to take that person to the ocean. It's like, look, it looks like this. It feels like this. If you get inside, it's like this. It's wet. You, it, you know, there's all these different tools to measure it, but a fork is not something you can't stick it in the ocean and move it. It doesn't work. So it's the same way with this. Um, words just don't do it a, a perp. Uh, like uh, it doesn't work uh, with words. But still, I'm trying to do my best to give you because I'm sure that if some of you are interested in that sort of thing, you'll be asking. So what did you see? What did you feel? Well, uh, it, it was it was this. For example, I had. I mean, there were so many things. I'm not going to talk about it a lot. But like one th- example was I had this bowl of fruits that I had. Um, because I prepared it for later, like when I'm coming out of it and want to eat, I thought I would be knocked out and I couldn't. But even during the trip, I was like getting some fruits. And so some of them had seeds and these seeds all of a sudden started like moving around and they turned into like insects and there were insects all around. And I'm like, this is so cool. And then I see these insects are flying. And then I see like the, um, like there were these, you know, like these fruit flies that like when the fruit starts uh, decaying and, and rotting and like, uh, or, um, you know, turning grapes into wine, uh, you have these t- tiny fruit flies. Well, I saw them everywhere. And you know how they're, they're associated with decay? Like when, you know, they're, they're making the fruit kind of deteriorate. Well, I saw them as if there were like these time flies that were bringing death to not just fruits, but to anything. So for example, I went to the bathroom and I had like one tile that was cracked. So I had a lot, a bunch of these flies on that one tile because it was closer to death than the rest of the tiles. So these flies were just, and again, I had the sensation that these flies are always here. I just don't see them otherwise. And you, I saw all kinds of like these things that they're, they're kind of underlining. And then with music, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, what I've never had this. I mean, of course, obviously, I had amazing experiences with the Icarus, but this was different because, like, especially I got into the I, because I experimented with different types of music, and uh, I got into this kind of idea where, um, the more the, sometimes there's 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 music that is kind of over whelming and it's leading you in certain direction like there's this one voice that's strong and there's this one kind of line of that this music is taken but there's other music there's more ambient there's more balanced there's not like one instrument that's leading the way and it seemed to me that this kind of more ambient type of music was really really nice because it was like as if 
It was providing you with the building blocks and your mind would, would do the work and, and shuffle and reshuffle and, and build new structures and possibilities from it. And it literally felt like every time, for example, I would, you know, like verses or chords repeat themselves. So every verse would be a different story. It would be a different kind of uh, like this would be some sort of a space travel uh, thing. But then the next one would be, I would see some robots building some structures. Then the third one, every everyone would be completely different visuals, different moods, diff but it would be the same song. So it would be endless possibilities because of this ambience that it was kind of like not giving you too much. So it gave you a, a bigger opportunity to make up, make what you want of it. So your mind was filling the gaps. But when you would listen to a song that would be more let's say, a, a com the conventional pop song where you have a specific way it goes and there's a solo and the, the, this and the, the. it didn't work this way. So in a, in a funny way, it seemed like some songs were more open to this and other songs were more flat. It almost felt like, you know, like games, for example, when you see a, an old game, like a 2D Mario, and then you see Mario Odyssey. And there's like, it's completely so you responded to some songs more than to others. By the way, I played I played this and I played like the the difficult games were so hard like Zelda. I was like, "Oh, so many buttons because it it was this weird state where my mind was like completely compartmentalized and I had so much control in specific like I would have I would know exactly which part of my brain was responsible for moving this finger and which one for this and which and then which one is for focusing my eyes and I felt like it was a disconnect like they were all kind of scrapped and I couldn't put them all together to work in one uh moment and 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 then I played the old Mario like the very like the Super Mario Bros too and then this one I was so good because man I couldn't fucking imagine it's just the muscle memory. Like my fingers, even in this state, remembered exactly the movement. And I would just, I, I recorded even myself. Like I had, because you can record videos of this. I recorded myself playing on acid, Super Mario, and beating it. And I'm like, fuck, I can still do it. And uh, I'm, uh, to a certain degree, like I did it. And then at, sometimes I would get distracted because I would look at it and watch it more and more. And, and I start remembering, man, when I was a kid sitting in front of the TV playing it for the first time, I could remember the smell of the room. I could remember, you know, the static on the TV, like those old kinescope TVs when you like touch them and this, the electricity on it. I could remember everything and I, I would get distracted because I would like get inside like my memories and I would like die or something. You know? And then I would come back and, oh, right, we're, we're still playing. And, but it was, it was cool. And then um, I had the best time with my fish because my, I have this aquarium and, and it's uh, illuminated, right? There's light and it's with, with plants, so it's mostly uh, green and, and it, it kind of glows green. And uh, it's absolutely amazing. And I was, I was writing, enjoying and listening to music. And I finally got into the Grateful Dead, man, which I, which I later started researching why it was something that's so spoke to me and I found out it was no coincidence that this band was completely influenced by psychedelics. I knew about it, but I never knew really the story behind it. So the story behind The Grateful Dead, is turns out, back in the 60s when it was still legal and a lot of people were experimenting with LSD and there were a lot of studies done. There was this guy in, in the San Francisco area that he was doing, he, was, he had a big house and he was inviting volunteers and group of people and they would be tripping together. And he found out that they were responding to music so he wanted to have a live band. He wanted to have a house band of people that would play for them. 
And uh, at this time, it was not even the Grateful Dead yet. They were called the Warlocks. So it's like they were not even their current band. It was like before they became the Grateful Dead. But there was the same people. So they, they were looking for any jobs, man. And they were like, they were doing strip clubs and shitty jobs like this. And so they took this job and they played there. So they were playing for people who were in this state of mind. And they oftentimes were tripping too over every time. So, so because of this, their music is completely uh, different. It's coming from a different place. And I didn't understand it until I was in this state. Then I, they spoke to me. Like I was like, I finally got it. And you know, like I'm a big fan of John Mayer's. He's playing with them. And I was listening to them just out of courtesy, out of like, you know, I respect John. He's, he knows better. If he's doing it, they're probably great. And of course, it's good music. I get it, you know, either way. But I never really liked it so much, personally, as in, like in terms of preference until then. And, and it was so funny because I was listening to this. And then it was, it was weird. Like at some point I'm listening to like, you know, it's YouTube and older play. And at some point I'm drifting away a little bit. Like I'm really peaking. I'm like in, in bed. And then I'm like going back. And then I look at the computer. It's like, this, that's John Mayer. That sounds familiar. And then I look and I'm like, why, why, why does he look like a lizard overlord with some mechanical parts in his face? I don't know. <laughs> it's John Mayer, man. And then I was looking at the mirror and I see like my skeleton instead of my skin. And then like some veins popping out like through the skin. It was amazing. And the whole thing was fucking amazing. And the music, it was great. And I got it. I was listening to this song specifically, um, Sugary. And this one was, I, I really like, I really like this one, especially. And the more I was coming out of it, the more I was getting back to this 2D. It was like playing Super Mario Odyssey, but the more you kind of coming out of it, the more it becomes like the regular Mario now. So I was, and I, as I was like coming out, I, I actually started reading the lyrics. It's like, is this what this song is about? Because to me, it was like a whole universe of things, but it's actually, it has like a completely different story in, in this realm. You know what I mean? And, uh, man, and now my new dream is to go maybe one day see them play live before they're gone. But this song, I don't, I, I got to, I, I want to learn how to play it, but I'm really, I haven't uh, done it. I, I think I can find the chords maybe here. It was, it was something like, you know, this sugary song it goes like... come to take you down when they bring that wig around when they come to call on you and drag your poor body down just one thing I ask of you just one thing for me Please forget you knew my name, my darling, sugary. Shake it, shake it, sugary. Just don't tell them that you know me. Shake it, shake it, sugary. Just don't tell them that you know me. And yeah, it goes on and on, but this is like this song for some reason 
I kept coming back to. And I really, I was happy that I experimented with all kinds of songs. So, it, it, like, I listened to... But, but yeah, I mean, there, there were certain types that you would respond more to. And, yeah, man, I'm a, but definitely there's this feeling of, again, with similar with mushrooms, that you want to do it outside in nature and, and that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe that, that'll be one day. But, anyway, this, I'm not going to keep you longer, guys. Um, again, thank you for listening. And if you could do me this favor, just write in the comments, Steftcha, man. Come back to us because what the fuck, man? And try to speak to him. Maybe he will listen to you because he doesn't listen to me. And hopefully next week you're going to be back in full capacity with everyone involved. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. I really love you. And uh, yeah, if you want anything, if you have any questions, let me know. And see you next time.